0: It's wonderful to be with each and every one of you today. And as Chris mentioned, we have several of our number here that are visiting with us, and we would hope and pray that you would feel as you are, and that is our honored guest. As always is the case, it is a privilege to speak concerning the Word of God, and I hope that we have some things this morning that will be both encouraging and edifying to you in some way. Our passage is taken from the book of Galatians chapter 6, and beginning there in verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When a person obeys the gospel, you've heard me say this in days gone by. He or she has a threefold responding obligation. In other words, when my sins are washed away at baptism and I rise to walk in newness of life, it doesn't end right there and my responsibility only begins. And the first responsibility that I have, I have a responding obligation to God himself. And you know the Bible talks about living a holy life. It says, be holy for I am holy. So in other words, I have a responding obligation to God to serve him with my life for the rest of my life. Secondly, a few months ago, I talked on the subject of Christian growth, and that's the second responding obligation, and that is a responding obligation to ourselves to grow in Christ. But thirdly, and that's what we want to talk about today. We have a responding obligation to each other. We need each other in the battle of living the Christian life day by day. And so we're going to talk about the idea of what it means to bear one another's burdens. I want to make a couple of introductory remarks, though, foundational things concerning the things that people go through in life. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. And it doesn't matter the circumstances in your life. If you are living your life today on this earth, you will strive against and you will struggle with temptation. You know, temptation is the same for everybody. What makes it different is perhaps you might have a weakness and the devil knows what that is. And you may be tempted with something that doesn't bother me at all. But on the other hand, I might be tempted with something that doesn't bother you at all. And the devil knows those things. And it is called the devices of Satan. And he throws these things at us. So understand, everybody is going to struggle with temptation in our life. That's number one. But Let me say two things about that. Number one, number one, it is not God's fault. You know, don't ever let somebody tell you that God is tempting you. The book of James says that God... Let no man say that when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Because God cannot be tempted of evil, neither tempts he any man. So, when is a man tempted? James says when he's drawn away with his own lust and enticed. And then, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin and sin when it's finished brings forth death. So number one, it is not God's fault. And you know, think about it this way too. God is our refuge. If God was the one that threw obstacles in our path and in our way, we have no refuge. God is the one that we can go to though when Satan throws temptations our way. So number one, understand this about temptation. It's not God. It does not come from God. Number two, temptation is not sin temptation is not sin. How do I know that? How do I know that temptation is not sin? We know that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, lived a life that was perfect in view of his death, and he sinned not at all. In fact, the Bible says of Jesus, he was tempted like all men are, yet without sin. So temptation is not sin, and it does not come from God. And yet, it is something that we all struggle with. But when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. You know, I realize that sin is something that we all struggle with. We're not perfect. In James chapter 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, for we all stumble in many things. In Romans 7 and 24, Paul said, O wretched man that I am. He told Timothy he was the chief of sinners, and yet we cannot find a greater man than the Apostle Paul when he gave his life to Jesus, obeyed the gospel, was baptized into Christ, became an apostle. We don't find a better man. But there's something else. As we're in the battle together, we need the support of other Christians to remind us that we are not alone. You know what this does? You know what this means? It means confrontation. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm just not good at confrontations? Have you ever had somebody say to you, I don't like confrontations. Well, I got to tell you, if you like confrontations, it's quite possible you're a troublemaker. Who in the world likes confrontations? What I'm saying is, is we that live the Christian life together We're going to have struggles and we need each other. And sometimes, sometimes it takes one Christian going to another Christian and pointing something out that that person perhaps is doing wrong. We talk about your friends for just a minute. We talk about friendship. In Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6, listen to this. Verse 5 says this. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I got to tell you, I have not always made the right decision, and neither have you. We have, we have not lived our life in sinless perfection as did Jesus. And even though we look unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, and even though Jesus is the standard of our life, he is the barometer, he is the bar, that's all true. And being a Christian means to be Christ-like and all of that. We get that. The idea is this though. When we talk about life, we don't always make the right choice. And when I look back on my life, we're not gonna be perfect. When I look back on my life of all the times that I made a decision that was not the best decision, and sometimes it was a really bad decision, right? Do you know that there was always somebody standing by that was dumber than I was that was telling me what a great idea I had? I'm gonna tell you something right now. If you have friends in your life and you make bad choices, and they support you in the bad choice, they're not your friend. If they encourage you to make a bad choice or rebel against the structure of what is right, they're not your friend. A friend is somebody that will tell you exactly how it is, even if it hurts your feelings. That's what Proverbs says. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed, and faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know sometimes we have to point something out to someone. Sometimes that's bad news. In July on a hot afternoon at 2:30 in the afternoon on in July in the excuse me in the month of July in the year 2010 I got a phone call that changed my life forever. I got a phone call from a doctor that had to make a call to me. And it was not very fun to hear. And she told me I had cancer. And You know, I would imagine it was a hard conversation for her to have with me. I would imagine it was a hard phone call for her to make. But can you imagine how irresponsible she would have been if she did? I just don't want to bring the bad news. I don't want to really tell him what his true condition is. I don't want to do that. I'm going to tell you, it ruined my day, just so you know. It wrecked my day. What a terrible phone call that was. It wrecked my day and saved my life. And sometimes spiritually, we have to do the very same thing. So if we're going to help each other, though, if we're going to help each other, we have to make sure that our own backyard is clean. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 3, Jesus says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What he's saying is, he's not saying everybody has their own issues, leave everybody alone. He said this get the plank out of your eye so you can see clearly to help your brother get even the speck out of his eye. We need each other, and there's a pattern, and it's found in Galatians chapter 6 and beginning there in verse 1. Notice what Paul says here. He begins by saying, brethren, if any man is overtaken in a trespass. You know, sometimes the word is translated in various translations as overtaken in a fault. And what it's talking about is this. If anybody that you know, that's what a man means. If anybody that you know, whether it is a man or a woman that is a child of God, and you see that they are overtaken in any trespass, you have a responsibility to do something. And that is to work toward restoration, to restore. And notice who doesn't. Those that are spiritual. I got to make a point about being spiritual. I think being spiritual, the word spiritual, is one of the most misunderstood concepts. Okay, What does it mean? What does spiritual mean? Years ago, as a painting contractor, we were painting a doctor's office and there was a gal that worked in the front there. She was the only gal that worked there. So she was the receptionist, the secretary, the office manager. She paid the bills. She ran the book. She did everything. And I remember her always talking about this idea. And she would say this. She would say, oh, you know, last night I, I this happened. So I said a prayer. And then she said, oh, and mentioned God in this next statement that she would perhaps say. And then one day she said, you know what? My my husband and I got up at 5 a.m. today. We got our coffee. We went out in the backyard and on the patio area there. We sat there at 5 a.m. We drank our coffee and I said a prayer. And you know what I said? I said, you know, that's really impressive. She's always talking about God and she's always talking about praying. So I said this, I said, may I ask you this, what religious affiliation are you part of? What church are you a member of? And she said this, I'm not a member of any church. She said, I'm not even religious, I'm just spiritual. The question is this, though, is can you be spiritual and not be religious? I'm going to let the Bible answer what is spiritual. What is it? This is what the definition of being spiritual really is. In Galatians 5 and 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's number one, okay? And we're gonna get to how you do that. But for a person to be spiritual, according to Paul in Galatians 5, you have to walk in the spirit. Let's take it further. Let's go to Galatians 5 and 25. If we live in the spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. So, whatever that means, a person that is spiritual is somebody that is living in the Spirit and somebody that is walking in the Spirit. So, if we can understand what it means to do that, then we can know exactly what Paul is talking about. Notice, another passage, it describes the, the fact that it's the Word of God. So, who, is, who are those that are walking in the Spirit And living in the spirit. It's really simple. It's somebody that's following the word of God. You know who that is? That's a Christian. Don't you see? It's not somebody that's reached some sort of higher level of perfection. Or higher level of spirituality. It's talking about a person that's not perfect. But it's talking about a person that is spiritual in that they're doing what? They're walking in the spirit. They're living in the spirit. That is what? That is following the revelation of the Spirit. That's the Word of God. That is a Christian. That is a faithful child of God. So who are those that do that, though? Well, we find in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23, these are those that we've just spoke of. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So not a perfect person but somebody's got to come to the rescue did, did you get that if somebody is in sin if i am in sin one of you has to come to the rescue and remember remember there is something that you got to do and it's, we're not talking about policemen we're not talking about those that are bossing other people around and by the way Nowhere in the word of God does it say, if Frank Brancato's not doing right, somebody go and really line him out. It doesn't say that at all. It says something different. Let's go back to the passage. It says restore. It says restore. I think the idea that we have to all remember is anytime somebody is corrected spiritually, Or something is brought to their attention spiritually that they're not doing right. Or they're cast aside or they're doing things they should not do. Remember, when you go and you confront them, those that are spiritual, faithful Christians shows up for the purpose of restoration. What does that mean? I love this word. The word actually comes from the Greek word that means to mend. It literally means to fix that which is broken. You know what that means? That means if I'm in sin, I'm broken. I need one of you. I need one of you that is following the word of God, that is manifesting the fruit of the spirit, that is trying to live in the spirit and walk in the spirit, that's trying to do what's right. I need you to come and help me and restore for the purpose of restoration. Now, in verses 22 and 23, it talked about the fruit of the spirit. Now, My point being is this, there's two kinds of people, and those that are spiritual and those that are carnal. And I didn't come up with that, Paul did. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, if I'm following the dictates of the flesh, I'm carnal. And you know, really, that is one of the hardest things, that is one of the hardest temptations in life. It's not to be carnal, not to be fleshly. We're going to be guided by one of two things, either by the word of God, which is the spirit, or we are guided by the world or the dictates of the flesh. It's one or the other. You are a slave to one or the other. So am I. A Christian that is spiritual has to come to the rescue here. And it also gives us a very compelling reason to live right. Have you ever stopped to consider the people in your life? I want to be very personal right now. People in your life that you have an influence over that nobody else does. I'm talking about whether you're a Christian, whether somebody is a Christian. I'm talking about people that are in your life that, you, that they know you. You have influence over people that perhaps nobody else has. And we know that by way of the influence that we have over people that are in the world and our neighbors and people we do business with. We know that from that standpoint. But have you ever stopped to consider that there may be even people in the church, spiritual people, that you have the influence over that maybe nobody else has? Remember when we talked about the church at Laodicea? Remember that? We talked about the lukewarm church. Remember when Jesus said, I would that you were hot or cold. If you were lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Okay, what that means is this. He's saying, I would rather have you be a faithful Christian that's hot or cold being somebody that is the alien sinner in the world. You know why? Because the word of God can still affect your heart. But the lukewarm person, the one that's just going through the motions, that is a Christian that's just going through the motions, and they're not led by the word of God. They enjoy the status quo, perhaps, to the person that's living a double life, doing things out in the world, trying to hold on to the world with one hand and Jesus with the other. That is a lukewarm Christian. Have you ever stopped to consider that the lukewarm Christian can do more harm to the cause of Christ than somebody that's in the world and doesn't profess Christianity at all? Do you know why? Here it comes. What if I'm that guy? What if I'm the lukewarm guy? And you say, wait a minute, why don't you come and attend services? They might say, wait a minute, I know Frank. I'm as good as that guy is. That guy doesn't live it. I'm as good as he is. In fact, if he's going to heaven, I can sure go to heaven. Might even say, I'm better than that guy, Frank. You kidding me? You see the point? That is a great motivator for living spiritually as you should because you have influence over other people in the world and in the church. Compelling motivation to do just that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those that are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Okay. How are we going to do that unless we are living our life as we should? Let's go back to our text. Here it is. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you that are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of gentleness. In the spirit of gentleness. You know, I got to tell you, if you look at the preaching of Jesus, in Matthew 23, it was a time in the last week in the life of Jesus when Jesus was furious. And it was similar to the time that he overturned the money changers, the table of the money changers. Remember that too. So in the last week of his life, Jesus was confronting sin and error. He was confronting a lot of bad people. But there's nothing that says he even raised his voice. You can say something in a proper way and be as strict as you possibly can be. You know my grandmother that lived to be about Louise BrunCollr. she was about this tall, I think. And grandmom lived to be about, I don't know, I think, 96 or so, maybe older. And uh, she was a little Italian lady. And uh, she would say, Frankie, it, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. My whole life heard that. My little grandmother. She didn't make that up. Everybody knows that, right? What matters is how you say it. Let me give you an example, by the way, about that. Some of you have heard this little story, but it's true. I used to weigh a whole lot more than I weigh now. I think I used to weigh 50 pounds more than I weigh now. And I'll never forget, I went to the doctor and had a physical and I go in there for this physical, and the doctor took my blood and did all these tests. And they said, Well, you know, you got this all out of whack, and this number's not good, and on and on and on. And I'm sitting there, and uh, the doctor says, Very kindly and very nicely, and even very gently, he said, Frank, you gotta lose some weight. I think your numbers will be a lot better if you lose a little weight. You know what I said? Oh, are you kidding? It's muscle weight. It's muscle weight. I'm in great shape. You don't understand, right? Sold myself on the bill of goods that it was just muscle weight. Well, I went my way. It took me a long, long time, but eventually I got the weight off, okay? And I came back for a follow-up. I think it was like two years later. And here I come in. I'm so proud of myself. And I sit there, and they did some other blood work, and everything's in really great shape. And here it comes. He said, I'm so glad you lost the weight. And I'm thinking, finally, here it comes. I'm going to finally get a pat on the back. My doctor said, I'm so glad you lost the weight because, man, you were really fat. I'm glad he didn't say that the first time. Because how you say it's everything. The idea of restoring, by the way, is fixing that which is broken. And by the way, let me also say this too. When you talk about gentleness, if you have to remove a fly from somebody's forehead, you don't need a hammer. There's other ways to remove the fly off a forehead of another person without using a hammer. You could do it right, you could say it right. We could approach each other right. Don't ever approach, though. Look at this. When you do this whole thing, then he says, you gotta do this. You've got to consider yourself lest you also be tempted. This phrase means two things. Two things. Number one, don't have the attitude of a haughty spirit or a condescending spirit or don't be puffed up like you're better than the person that just committed that sin. And don't think, wait a minute, uh, I'm way better than that. Don't do that lest you also be tempted, but there's more. Don't ever act like it could never happen to you. Man, you have no idea. I'm telling you right now, it can happen to anybody. And I know people that you would have never thought would ever drift back into sin and do things that they've chosen to do. Or be overtaken in faults and decide to leave and leave God, leave the Lord? And there were people that you would say they would never have done that. How many people said this about themselves? It'll never happen to me. What about Peter? Peter? Do you know when Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus is now speaking to Peter and the apostles? I call it the second conversion of Peter. Remember that? He said, do you love me? He said, yo, you know I love you. Three times, three times, he got Peter to profess I love you. One for each time he denied him. Accident? I don't think so. One for every time. So Peter's on the way, right? And then all of a sudden, Peter's doing great. Then you know what Peter does? Peter falls. Why? Because he refused to eat with the Gentiles for fear of the Jews. You know what Paul had to do? He withstood him to the face. That was wrong. That was wrong. Anybody can fall. Don't ever think you cannot. Number two. Number two. You know what sometimes we do? Sometimes we're hardest on people. Okay? Sometimes we're the hardest on people that are guilty of doing things that we ourselves are also guilty of. I knew a guy one time, he was so hard on somebody else about a particular sin that he was doing. He was really hard on him. And you know, I found out years later, he had the same problem, same exact problem. Sometimes we think it could never happen to us, and sometimes we are harder on others that are guilty of the same thing that we ourselves are also guilty of. Let me give you a Bible example now, though. It goes back to John chapter 8. Cullen touched on this last week when he talked about the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. I'm not going to go into the whole story. Make a couple of points, though, because it shows that this idea that I'm talking about is nothing new. When the woman was brought before Jesus, the Bible says they said she was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, obviously, if she was caught in the very act, then there was a man somewhere, and he also was caught in the very act. But nobody said anything about him. Do you remember what Jesus does? He does two things that are very significant. One, it is significant what he said, and two, it is significant what he wrote with his finger. We just don't know what it is. Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. couple of things about that. This is not a general passage. Sometimes this is taken as a general passage. In other words, nobody's perfect. So let him who is without sin or perfect cast the first stone. Nobody's going to be perfect, right? That's not what it means in the original. In the original, it says this. Let him who is without this sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he does this. He kneels down and he takes his finger and he writes something on the ground. I don't know what he wrote. The old time preachers used to say, isn't it entirely possible though that he was writing the names of the men that were there that were guilty of the very same sin? It's perhaps true. Maybe. You know what they did? They all walked off. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Sometimes we're hardest on people that are guilty of the very same thing that we are guilty of. And then it comes to verse two. In in verse two, bear one another's burdens. Now, what is a burden? The word burdens actually means heavy loads that are hard to carry. This is a twofold thing, but I'm going to get very specific in a minute. Heavy loads that are hard to carry, and sometimes that is things you go through in life. Sometimes it's illness. Sometimes it's loss. And it's true that we need to bear one another's burdens. In fact, we can go to another Bible passage and show just that. When we're talking about heavy loads that are hard to carry in a general sense, no matter what they are. We can go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 26, where Paul said, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Right? We can look at that and we can say, look, if I am having a problem in my life, I'm having a struggle in my life. I need, the, I need God's people to come to my rescue. I need God's people to help me, right? And you know, sometimes we are so good at this, and sometimes we come up short. Sometimes we are really good at this, and sometimes we come up short. But when you talk about the church, and that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he was talking about the church as a body, it's as a family, And just as you would your own child or your own sibling or whatever it is to come to their aid, that's what happens in the family of God. We come to each other's aid. So Paul said that. If somebody's going to suffer, we're going to suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So bearing one another's burdens in a general sense would include the things that you go through in life that are hard and painful. Yes, but... Specifically in the context, it means this. It means heavy weights that cause your brother to sin. That's the context. How do I know? If anyone's overtaken in a trespass, somebody that's spiritual, here comes a Christian, you got to come to the aid. Help to restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted and bear one another's burdens. Heavy loads or heavy weights that cause your brother to sin. We need help. And by the way, if your brother is falling into sin, you know what happens? It needs somebody to pick him up. You got to pick him up. If they're down, you got to pick him up. That's what, re- that's what restore means, fix that which is broken. But you know what? Our responsibility doesn't end there. You know why? Because the temptation is not going to go away. So if a temptation is there, and we're talking about habitual sin here, by the way. And by the way, habitual sin, things you keep falling back into, has great heavy weights. It's great heavy weights. Have you ever heard the word guilt? Naturally. And when you feel guilty, it is a heavy burden. It is a heavy weight. So when you go to the rescue to restore that person, you got to do more than that. You have picked them up, but now you have to help them, and you got to hold them up. That's what bearing one another's burdens literally means. you got to hold them up. In James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What does all this mean? Well, first of all, we know this. We know that what is first and foremost is prayer. This is not something that is just talking about something at the invitation, by the way, that we'll have in just a minute. We're talking about something that is very important, and that is prayer. Now, let me ask you this. Don't let, well, first of all, let me make a statement. Don't let somebody tell you that says if you are a child of God and you have sinned, don't let anybody tell you that you have to call somebody on the phone and ask them to pray for you because you can't be forgiven until that happens. That is not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. We are a kingdom of priests. You know what that means? That means we have access to God through the high priest that is Jesus Christ. So when I sin, I don't need to call Terry. Terry, pray for me. I want to be forgiven. I get to do it. I get to ask God to forgive me through Jesus Christ. Give you a Bible for that. Acts 8. Simon the sorcerer, when he sinned, remember that? Simon the sorcerer sinned. He was a Christian. He was a new convert. And he sinned. And when he sinned, Peter said, repent of this thy wickedness and pray, God, that the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven thee. You know what he said? He said, please, you pray for me. So what that shows is two things. You can pray for yourself and you can have somebody else pray for you too. But when you talk about confessing your faults and you talk about bringing that to other people, Do you know there's a wonderful secondary benefit? And that is accountability, right? It's accountability. You know, accountability is is wonderful. Accountability helps us stay on the right way or the right path. If I go to Terry and I say, Terry, you know what? You know what? I'm really struggling with this. I need your help. What have I done? I've confessed my trespasses, I've confessed my faults to my brother. And what does the Bible say? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So I ask him. He is spiritual. He is following the word of God. He's a faithful Christian. What's he going to do? He's going to pray to God on my behalf. But then what else? I'm now accountable to Terry for my problem, for my struggle. I'm accountable to him. He's going to check in every once in a while. Hey, how are you doing that? Accountability is everything. Don't you see? It's not enough just to pick up the person. You've got to hold them up. And the way you hold them up is by bearing their burdens, which are heavy loads that are hard to bear. Heavy loads. You know, there was a young boy one time that had a problem. He had a real problem with his mouth. And he he really meant to do what was right. He really meant to do better. But every time he got angry, he would just be overtaken with it, and he would use some really, really bad language. And then he would feel really, really bad about it. And the story is told that he kept going to a preacher, and he kept saying to the preacher, I'm I'm sinful. I I don't mean to do it. I just keep falling. Finally, the preacher said this, I'm going to pray for you, but this is what you're going to do. You're going to carry a notebook with you, and for the entire week, whatever you do, wherever you go, you're going to take the notebook with you. And when you stumble and when you sin, you're going to write down what you said, why you said it, what were the circumstances, and all of that. And every Friday in my office, you're going to come and meet with me, and you're going to sit there, and we're going to go over it. You know what happened after two weeks? After two weeks, there was nothing on the page. The third week, there was nothing on the page. The fourth week, there was nothing on the page. See the point? The preacher said to this young man, well, what got into you? He said, I was so embarrassed to have to show you what I said. It gave me the courage and the strength to not do it ever again. Look at it from this standpoint. Have you ever heard somebody say it takes 21 days to break a habit and 21 days to form a new one? Okay, If I go to my brother and I'm accountable to him, guess what I'm doing? Every day that goes by is another day that I'm establishing a better habit. That's called bearing your burdens. That's called keeping you and lifting you up. So when you do that, you fulfill the law of Christ. May I also say this too? If somebody ever comes to you and tells you something very personal, don't tell anybody else. You know, that's terrible when you go confide in somebody. And you tell them something very personal about your life. And a struggle, perhaps, that you have been going through. And you tell them those things. And then they go tell other people about it. You know, my dad said sometimes it's hard to tell other people or trust other people with things because if you hand the load over to them, they got to pass it on to somebody else, right? My dad told me that my whole life. Let's not be that. We need to be there for each other to restore, not only that, but build each other up and hold each other up. And that's the responsibility that we have. So, what does it mean, the law of Christ? To fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ obviously is the law of love. And that's agape love. That is a love of service and sacrifice for another. And in John chapter 13 and verse 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you may also love one another but this is the will of God. This is all, but this, that all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In Galatians 5 and 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. As we start wrapping things up, we got to talk about this. Got to talk about burdens. Okay. Because in one passage, it says that you have to bear your own burdens And in another passage, it says that we're to bear each other's burdens. Let's talk about that, and this is our last point. Here it is. In Galatians 6 and verse 5, For each one shall bear his own burden. That's from the King James. So in verse 5, he said you got to bear your own burden. Three verses prior to that is our verse under consideration today, and it says bear one another's burdens. Is there a conflict? Is there a conflict? First of all, in verse 2, let's talk about what they are. What are the burdens in verse 2? Galatians 6 and 2, bear one another's burdens. What are the burdens? They are heavy weights that are causing your brother to sin. Okay? Heavy weights that are causing your brother to sin. We have a responsibility to each other in that. But in Galatians 6 and 5... Everyone must bear his own burden. That's the King James. The New King James says load, and I'm glad that it does because they're two different words. It's not the same word. What's that mean? What does burden in the King James, in verse 5, or load in the, King, in the New King James, in verse 5 mean? It means this. It refers to the things that we will all give an account for. It's really simple. It's really simple. I need your help with these burdens that cause me to sin. But in the end, you can't stand in for me. I'm going to give an account to what I do. You're going to give an account to what you do. That's what that means. So why do we help each other in this regard? Because we all will give an account to the things that we do in our life. That's all that that means. That is all that that means. So it says this in Romans 14 and 12 to to support this thought. So then each of us shall give an account of himself and to God. Now, I realize that sometimes the Christian life is difficult. I do. I really do understand. And I understand things are hard. And I understand that sometimes heartaches come too. And they derail us. And I also understand that sometimes things that are thrown your way are so difficult, it makes you want to shut down. I'm going to tell you right now, that's what the devil wants you to do. The devil wants you to shut down. If you shut down, he wins. He wins. If you persevere, you win because the Lord wins. I realize it's tough. I know it's tough. But there's nothing in the word of God that says be a Christian and have an easy life. There's nothing that it says that. Nowhere. So when hard times come, and they will, draw nigh to Jesus. Draw nigh to the word of God. Approach your heavenly father repeatedly throughout the day to help you through it. And you know what? I'm going to tell you. You know what sometimes we do? Sometimes we beg God to take it away. We all do that. Sometimes it hurts so bad, we beg God to take it away. Let's do this. Let's be better at this. Let's beg God to give us the strength and the courage to persevere. I'm going to tell you, if you do that, guess what? The whole world's watching. and God gets the praise. I'm finished in conclusion. Here's our passage one more time. If anybody is caught in a sin... Somebody's got to come to the rescue. Who is it? That's a spiritual person. Who's that? That's Christian. What for? Line them out? No. Restore. Help to mend that which is broken. Let's do it in the right way, though. Let's do it in the spirit of gentleness. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Let's do what else, too? Let's never have the opinion or the idea. It could never happen to us. So let's consider ourselves, lest we also be tempted. Let us bear one another's burdens, which are heavy weights that cause our brother to sin and help each other through this life. And when we do, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. I'm finished. Thank you so much for your kind listening this morning. We never know the hearts and minds of those that are present. Are you hearing the sound of my voice? And you are not a child of God. The steps to become a child of God are very simple. Paul said, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus also said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. All that means is this, we hear the word of God, we believe in Jesus, we believe in Jesus so much we're going to do what he says. He said, repent, what's that? I got to change my life. What else? Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father, which is in heaven. And that confession simply is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And all of those steps lead toward or up to the point of salvation. First Peter 3.21, though, says, The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. That's the point of salvation. That's where you contact the blood of Jesus. That's where you have your sins washed away. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield.